It's Thursday, February the 13th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, the Pope rejects married priests and COVID kills a convention. First, the world in brief. Pope Francis rebuffed a proposal that would have allowed for the ordination of married men. Advocates hoped relaxing celibacy rules would help to alleviate the shortage of priests in South America's Amazon Basin. Conservatives worried it could spread to the rest of the church. Francis, it seems, did not want to become the Pope who presided over a schism. Optimism that the number of COVID-19 infections in Hubei province were stabilizing proved short-lived. The use of CT scans as well as ribonucleic acid tests to identify the coronavirus has diagnosed many more cases, increasing the official figures. On February 11th, the number of new cases for the whole of China had been 2015. On February 12th, the figure for Hubei alone jumped to 14,840. The province's most senior Communist Party official was sacked. This year's Mobile World Congress, the biggest trade show for phones, was cancelled. MWC 2020 was to be held this month in Barcelona, far from the epicentre of COVID infection. It was called off after many of the companies invited decided not to postpone their staff's international mingling during the outbreak. Ordinarily, 6,000 visitors might have come from China. Bernard Looney, the new boss of BP, pledged to reduce the oil and gas producers' carbon emissions to net zero by 2050. The target is more ambitious than those of other oil giants, but Mr Looney was unclear on exactly how it would be met. The company's investments in renewable energy are dwarfed by those in fossil fuels. Nissan filed a civil lawsuit against its former chairman, Carlos Ghosn, in Japan for damages of $90 million. The Japanese carmaker said it aims to recover a significant part of the monetary damages inflicted on the company by its former chairman. Mr Ghosn denies the charges and fled to Lebanon in December, claiming the Japanese legal system was rigged. Italy's Senate voted to lift the parliamentary immunity of Matteo Salvini, the leader of the hard-right League, over accusations that he illegally held well over a hundred migrants at sea. Mr Salvini detained the migrants to put pressure on other states in the European Union to take them in. He could face up to 15 years in prison. And America's Education Department announced an inquiry into the unreported foreign funding of universities, singling out Harvard and Yale. It said it has already found $6.6 billion in undisclosed gifts, naming China, Saudi Arabia and Qatar in a list of beneficiaries. Two weeks ago, the chairman of Harvard's chemistry department was charged with lying about funds received from the Chinese government. And now, here's today's agenda. In DOJ we trust. Qualcomm v. the FTC. An unusual spectacle will take place today in a San Francisco appeals court when one trust-busting agency of the government takes on another. Qualcomm, a big chipmaker, is appealing against an antitrust judgment last year that it argues could throttle its licensing business. The Federal Trade Commission case dates back to the Obama administration. Since then, other parts of the Trump administration, led by the Department of Justice, have thrown their weight behind the firm. The DOJ will argue in court that sweeping remedies, which would require it to renegotiate license fees with its customers, imposed as a result of the verdict could harm Qualcomm's ability to innovate on fifth-generation wireless technologies. 
that it thinks could damage America's national security at a time of 5G competition from China. The DOJ's support may bolster Qualcomm's chances. The firm has already won a partial stay on the remedies imposed on it. Whatever the judgment, though, the idea that America's 5G champions should be protected at all costs is overblown. It sounds like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Night of the Short Knives, Britain's Cabinet Reshuffle The main message of Boris Johnson's reshuffle expected today will be business as usual. The Prime Minister will not press ahead with a long-trailed reorganisation of departments. Neither will there be a St. Valentine's Day massacre. The Chancellor of the Exchequer, Sajid Javid, and the other big officers of state are almost certainly safe. Geoffrey Cox, the over-theatrical attorney-general, is due for the chop, as is Jacob Rees-Mogg, who has been sidelined since he suggested victims of the Grenfell fire lacked common sense. But the biggest changes will be to the female faces around the table. Lady Morgan is expected to step down as culture secretary. Several lacklustre female cabinet ministers, such as Andrea Leadsom, the business secretary, and Theresa Villiers, the environment secretary, have worn out their welcome. But will they be replaced by high flyers such as Lucy Fraser, Victoria Atkins or Penny Mordaunt, who was unexpectedly sacked by Mr Johnson in the last reshuffle? Disciplining Judges, Poland and the European Union Today is the final day for Poland to assuage the European Commission's concerns about the independence of its Supreme Court's newly created disciplinary chamber, which has the power to punish judges. This is the latest instalment in the right-wing Law and Justice, PIS, party's protracted dispute with Brussels over its judicial reforms which EU officials warn could undermine the rule of law. In January, the Commission asked the European Court of Justice to suspend the disciplinary chamber, claiming that it increases the chilling effect on the Polish judiciary. PIS's changes amount to destruction of judicial independence, not reform, said Viera Jourova, the EU Commissioner for Values and Transparency. The Polish government claims that national judiciaries are member states' business, not the EU's. If the Polish government's response fails to convince the ECJ, it could proceed with interim measures suspending the disciplinary chamber, aggravating tensions further between the PIS and the EU. Health before wealth, China's economic slowdown. Today marks two weeks since the end of the Chinese New Year holiday. Normally, factories, shops and offices would have roared back to life by now, but this year many are still shut as the government mounts an all-out campaign to stop a dangerous virus, formerly known as COVID-19, from spreading further. Many of the country's migrant workers, some 200 million strong, have remained in the countryside rather than face 14-day quarantines in the cities. Banks and tech companies have told staff to work from home. Restaurants are suffering, so are property sales down more than 90%. The pain is spreading globally with car makers in Japan and South Korea halting some operations because of a shortage of Chinese-made parts. The good news is that even under revised criteria, the rate of infections outside Hubei province appears to be slowing. But with official figures surging, the government will not want to relax its controls just yet. State of discontent, South African politics. Thirty years ago this week, Cyril Ramaphosa held the microphone while Nelson Mandela gave his first address upon his release from 27 years in prison. 
These days, Mr. Ramaphosa is the one giving speeches as the country's president. Today, he will deliver his State of the Nation address, an annual event in the mold of America's State of the Union speech. Expect Mr. Ramaphosa to commemorate Mr. Mandela's release. The ruling African National Congress Party loves to luxuriate in nostalgia. The rest of the country will want to hear about the future, especially about insolvent and unreliable ESCOM. Mr. Ramaphosa will pledge to fix the struggling state-run electricity utility, as he has several times since he became president in 2018. But South Africans are impatient with their president who overpromises and then underdelivers. The apprentice remains very much in his mentor's huge shadow. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Josephine Tay, who passed away on this day in 1952. One of the secrets of a successful life is to know how to be a little profitably crazy. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. <laughs>